me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. There's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. Okay, focus, focus. I'm, I'm trying to focus. Life has been complicated. I'm in the midst of a blizzard, so... Uh, Nip it in the bud! The blizzard, I'd like to. There are certain things you can do nothing about. Jesus could, but I can't. I cannot hold up my hands and say, it will now be warm. All righty then. Let's move on. Oh, I'm in a good mood. It's beautiful. I'm looking out a window. I'm in a warm place. God, it's good. There. Yes, I'm you're in Florida enough. at 75 and sunny. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, somebody. <laughs> I'm still thinking of the person who, who, who wrote in saying I should start off my shows more cheerfully. So, <laughs> well, it was me. I, I just posed as a different person. <laughs> you. Oh, all right. Yes, yes. Do not forget, I come from a German background. An entire people waiting for the other shoe to drop. Well, let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. <laughs> Send for, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Send forth your spirit. <laughs> we shall be created. You shall be the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. <sighs> To have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in your comfort through Christ our Lord. Lord, I have a feeling it's going to be one of those days, so we definitely need your blessing. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The reason I kind of giggled was I, I just thought of a letter I just got, an email letter from, from uh, Klaus uh, in the Dippel in Germany. The Dippels are kind of new in town. They didn't arrive till the 1700s. But the um, we've been there since the Stone Age, I think. But uh, he, he, it was a catalog of of uh, the recent funerals he's attended. And we Germans can be so cheerful. Moving along, let's let's go to the big book on the coffee table. Well, I'm going to have to talk fast because there's a lot to say, so you're going to have to listen fast. Let us go to the um, the Gospel, Mark, the 8th chapter, 27th verse, uh, the, the 33rd verse. Let me just make sure, yes, Thursday of the sixth week in ordinary time. I've got the right reading here. All right. Jesus and his disciples set out for Caesarea Philippi. And you got to know about the place. Uh, it is today called Banyas. And it is right at the border of the state of Israel and uh, Lebanon. And it is currently controlled by the state of Israel. So uh, it was a very ancient town. It was associated with a deity, 
Canaanite deity, Baal, Baal God or Baal Hermon, Hermon being the local big mountain. So the, when the Greeks came in, they associated the place with Pan. You know, he's the sort of half goat, half half human fellow who plays the pipes. Uh, that's Pan. And uh, the goat-footed god Pan. Um, the thing about Banyas, the thing about this place, it is one of the sources of the River Jordan. And in ancient times, the Jordan flowed out of a, a cave, the source of the Jordan. There are a number of sources of the Jordan. It's one of the principal ones. It flowed out of a cave, and the ancients believed it was one of the gates of hell. And uh, it's interesting because um, uh, there were a number of gates of hell, and one of them was considered to be the gates of the underworld, not not the place of eternal torment. Uh, the Romans called the place of eternal torment Tartarus. Uh, the underworld, Sheol, Hades, that was a place where we continued probably in some sort of gray, shadowy existence. Uh, it wasn't a heaven. It wasn't a hell. It was just a shadowy existence. So uh, this this was one of the entrances. And under the temple, the, the, the stone, uh, the foundation stone on which the Holy of Holies was built, that's the, the theory, that stone was sort of a, a cork in one of the entrances uh to the underworld, and there was a couple, there was one in Italy, and there were different places that were regarded as as entrances to the underworld, and um, offerings would be made. So when the Greeks came, they dedicated it to one of their gods, and then the Romans came, and uh, Caesarea that means Caesar town, and Philippi means of Philip, and this was Herod Philip, the son of Herod the Great, who uh, you know was devoutly Jewish, except when he wasn't in the Holy Land. And he built this gorgeous city uh, to the honor of uh, Caesar, uh, the, the emperor, uh, to curry favor. And uh, it had shrines at this at this sacred spot, this sacred cave to the Roman gods and to the Greek gods and to whatever gods there were. So, you know, it was religion as politics. And this is the background, and and it's a, it's built into this cliff. It is this huge rock. I mean, it's a rock. Oh, that's got to be twenty stories high. It's 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 huge. And if you go to the holy, when you go to the holy land, I should say rather, you should go there. So, well, this is the place, and it's very interesting that that uh, Jesus and his disciples reasonably are seeing this this gorgeous Roman town that sort of came up the hill and this, this shrine that it's shown like snow. And, and, and I imagine the roofs were, were, were gilded. It was probably a beautiful, beautiful place. And there w was concentrated the might of Imperial Rome. That was what it was a monument to. And so, um, Jesus asked them a question. Who do people say I am? John the Baptist, others Elijah, one of the prophets. Who do you say I am? Peter said to him, reply, you are the Christ. Now, 
that's going to be our word for the day, Christ. So I'm not going to talk about that then. But then he warned them not to tell anyone about him. Again, Mark, he's, he wants to keep his messiahship secret because he doesn't want people being killed for the sake of his messiahship. Well, the thing that's fascinating is Peter makes this, this confession of faith. And this is a, an abbreviated uh, uh, version of the story that's told in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and, well, in both stories, as soon as... Uh, Peter is is singled out as as a as a leader of the the community. You know, I mean, Peter's the one who replies to his question. Uh, but in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, "You are the rock, and on this rock, I will build my my church." My uh, remember, the word church doesn't mean a building necessarily. In fact, is it never meant a building until later times? Church was the assembly of. Uh, of, of believers and it was also the uh, uh, it was the assembly of believers and it was the uh, uh, our word church comes from the Greek word kyriaki which means the prop possession of the Lord so the Lord was going to build his his whole possession his whole shmir on the rock that was Peter's they're looking you can imagine they're looking at this at this huge rock and Jesus is saying, no, no, this this guy's the rock. And then he calls him the devil. You know, he says, get behind me, Satan. In both versions of the story, Peter is rebuked. He says, get behind me, Satan. This is fascinating to me that, that he calls him uh, the rock, and then he calls him the devil. <laughs> that doesn't seem very consistent. Of course, he's not calling him the devil. He's saying, you're not thinking as God does, but as human beings do. And that is a satanic thing. Wow, you're not thinking as God does, but as human beings do. Uh, St. Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, have in you that mind which was in Christ Jesus, considering other people as, as more important than yourself. That's what Jesus did. And that's, that's not what emperors and kings and monarchs do. And the servant of, of God, and this particularly applies to the clergy, <laughs> deacon, priest, and bishop, and, and religious sisters, we're not better than people. We are their servants. And when we forget that, we begin to have this satanic attitude because we're thinking as human beings do. Well, if I'm the leader of this organization, I'm pretty important. And, well, people better treat me as, you know, as my dignity, uh, as my dignity uh, requires. And this idea that, that I'm, so, I, I'm, I'm a leader, I'm important, you know, this is satanic. And that's what that's what's going on here. I think we need to consider that, that we piously say we're the servants of the people of God and the Holy Father is the servant of the servants of God. But are we really believing that? Am I really believing that as a clergyman, I am I am a servant, in fact, a slave? I'm, I'm a person who's been bought and paid for. And all of us have been. So I think that's very important that that I can be called by God, but act demonically. Peter did. Well, let's go to the first reading, because, boy, I got a lot to say about the first reading. Let me look at the time. I think I can cover it. You know, this, well, did this really happen? I don't know. I wasn't there. It may be a, a parable. It may be a poem. It may be strict, precise history. That is not, you know, I, I'm a bit of a fundamentalist. I really believe that the Bible is, is history. But, again, I, I remind you that, that Part of it is history from God's point of view. And to argue about whether this happened, this didn't happen, it misses the point entirely. 
what is God saying in this about an event that clearly happened? He's saying he's renewing the covenant. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fertile, multiply and fill the earth. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. And interesting, dread fear shall come upon all the animals of the earth and the birds of the air. Every creature that's alive shall be yours to eat. I give them all to you as I did the green plants. He's saying that, that human beings up to the point of Noah were vegetarians. Oh, that's that's just not true. We see cavemen were eating meat and occasionally one another. Okay, fine. Fine. However, the... the um, uh, uh, the, the, you know, I'm not, I'm strictly speaking, I'm not an evolutionist, but I do think that God <laughs> used certain templates and he may have used a, a process of natural selection. We're created from the clay of the earth. That's all the scripture says. God created and infused the human soul. And that seems to really have happened. Uh, there was this great leap forward in terms of, of human consciousness. But it is interesting, the creatures we most resemble are vegetarians. That is kind of interesting. Whereas human beings are omnivorous and carnivorous, especially this human being, uh, that that we were, the scriptures are saying here, limited to, to veg, uh, plant-based food. However, after the fall and then after the flood, we only practiced a kind of symbolic vegetarianism. What? Yes, because blood is forbidden. This is a real important idea. Only flesh with its lifeblood still in it shall you not eat. For your own lifeblood too I will demand an accounting. From every animal I will demand it. From uh, from one man in regard to his fellow man I will demand an accounting for human life. This is very important and it comes from, oh gosh, I had it all looked up and of course erased it. But Leviticus, I believe the 17th chapter, it, it talks about why we cannot eat blood. Uh, Leviticus 17 chapter. Now, don't worry. If you like blood sausage, you can still eat it. I'll get there. Are you kidding me? All right. No, I'm not kidding you. Let's see here. Um, let me, I will set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who eats blood. I will cut them off from the people. For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor may any foreigner residing among you eat blood. No blood sausage. Most people don't like it anyway. I, I actually do. But um, I, won't go, I won't go there. However, this is a very important idea. Remember Adam, or rather Cain and Abel, why Cain? Uh, was not acceptable to the Lord, but Abel was because Abel offered a blood sacrifice. He, You cannot make covenant with God without a blood sacrifice. Cain wanted a contract. Abel wanted a covenant. And this is the blood. The When you, when you, when you take blood, you're taking something that is the life. When you offer blood, you're offering blood life. Cain did not offer his life to the Lord. Abel, by means of sacrificing blood to the Lord, offered his life to the Lord. This is the idea. So that means we can't eat blood. No, that's not what it means. Uh, Pentecostals, interestingly, classical Protestant Pentecostals believe blood is still forbidden because in the Acts of the Apostles, we read that um, 
uh, the, the eating of blood was still forbidden to Greek converts to the faith. Why? Because Moses was read everywhere. It would have been a scandal. It wasn't that eating blood was intrinsically immoral, but it would have been a scandal. That no longer is true. Uh, that was a rule that applied, I believe, specifically to that time. However, <clears throat> this this idea of, of uh, not eating the blood was reversed by the Messiah, by, by, by Jesus, because he gave us his blood as an atonement. We no longer have to worry about the life that is in uh, mortal blood because we have the immortal blood of Christ. The Messiah, he said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He fulfilled that law by the Holy Eucharist. So now we, we don't offer the blood of sacrifices and atonement. We offer the body and blood of the Messiah, Jesus in atonement. That's been fulfilled. So we're free to eat things that are not necessarily kosher. I mean, uh, the, the the way to, to kosher some kind of food is very elaborate. Uh, uh, the slaughtering rules are very elaborate. That, that they all the blood must be drained out of any animal that that is sold as kosher meat. We don't have to worry about that anymore because the Messiah has fulfilled that in the sacrifice of His own blood, and it's fulfilled in the Mass when we receive the body and blood of the Lord. And with that, we make atonement and we eat his body and we drink his blood. That's why when Jesus said that in, in the Gospel of John, people looked at him and thought, this is disgusting. The man is crazy and walked away. Jesus fulfilled this mitzvah, this commandment in his own body and blood. So we no longer have to worry about whether that that uh, steak is kosher. In fact, as I read an article in researching this, uh, is a medium rare steak kosher? I said yes. The rabbis, if it was, if it's from a kosher butcher and it's been properly slaughtered, that isn't the blood; it's the juice. What? I mean, that's how serious our Orthodox friends take this commandment. How seriously that that they worry about whether a rare steak is kosher. And yes, apparently it is. All right. With that reassuring thought, but uh, this is an important biblical concept. The idea of the blood being in the life or the life rather being in the blood. And we are this is again, I think. A corresponding answer to uh, my, my brother's keeper. So moving along there, let's go to a break and we'll come back with letters. And you can call in and ask obscure questions, 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Isn't this the theme from The Good, The Bad, The Ugly? It is, yes, we, Father. <laughs> yes, well, you're, you're playing it for a man who has a face for radio. All right, moving along, we'll be right back. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for Independent Thinkers at RelevantRadio.com forward slash UDallas. If I had a hammer, I'd a hammer in the morning. This was a big song when I was young. 
We loved this song when I was young. And when you think about it, what do you mean you got a hammer? I mean, it's just... So you got a hammer. You're going to trash things at any rate. <laughs> and we did. You know, it just... I don't know. If I had a hammer, I'd just smash my thumb. Let's move in. Let's go to letters. All right. I I have... Uh, this is a letter I got a while ago. Um, uh, but I suppose I should read it, and, and I'll try to be oblique. Um, and the, uh, I'll keep the, the caller anonymous. I'm struggling so bad right now with with addictions to sensual sins. Uh, do you know any, any way I can beat this um, and know the joy that I might go to heaven? Well, I think it's important in this to read what the catechism says about it. Uh, um, you know, that, that uh, where to begin with this? I think the most important part is the struggle. In any addiction, any addiction you have, and I have said this, um, a habit of vice is only overcome by a habit of virtue. Let us talk about the seven deadly sins. Now, they are not necessarily mortal sins, but they, they, they open us up to mortal sins. A, a mortal sin has to be a specific action that is gravely wrong. For instance, killing someone. Let, let's use that one. Or, or let's use gambling. Let's use gambling. You know, if you gamble to the point where you impoverish yourself and your family, that's a, I, I think that qualifies as a mortal sin. If you drink to the point of drunkenness, that's a mortal sin. If you're an alcoholic uh, or a gambling addict, um, is that addiction lessened by addiction? Uh, the catechism clearly says that addictions, uh, an addiction can, can, oh, how to put this? This is a very dangerous tack to take because it sounds like one is excusing sin. And that is, you know, you know, you go to a confession. Oh, that's not so bad. Yes, it is. You know that so often in this, uh, when I was young, confessors would sort of just say, oh, it's not a problem. And, uh, you know, St. Augustine agonized over stealing a peach. Oh, get over it, St. Augustine. No, it was the tip of an iceberg for him and he knew it. So uh, his lawlessness. Uh, and his joy in doing that which was wrong, that was seriously sinful. So uh, if you are a confessor and you're listening, don't don't disregard other people's sins. If they say, I, this is a great sin in my life, and, well, why do you think it's a great sin in your life? And go into it, because often it is. Now, that, that said, I don't want to minimize uh, the sinful nature of something. However, the catechism is very clear on this, and Catholic teaching is very clear on this. An action must be gravely wrong. Uh, you must, in order to to fully commit a mortal sin, you must have complete freedom and a complete turning of the will. And you must have the knowledge that it is a serious sin. So there are uh, something can be a serious sin and yet does not 
become a mortal sin in my life. Now, there's another thing uh, which one must talk about is uh, willful ignorance. If they don't tell me I don't want to know, that's willful ignorance. And you are culpable for those things. But you say, I didn't know that was a sin. Well, okay. Um, if you didn't know it, you didn't have a full turning of the will. All that said, do not lessen the, the gravity of sin. You know, sometimes we Catholics, uh, we talk about mortal and venial sin as if there were good sins and bad sins. There is no such thing as a good sin. Every sin is an offense against the infinite majesty and love of God. Every sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Every sin crucifies Christ, be it a small, as we think, or great sin. Well, that's pretty awful. That means I'm a real sinner. Yes, so am I. And there's the mercy and forgiveness of God. However, I have to, I have to uh, uh, accept and work with God's grace. Now, back to the seven deadly sins. Pride, avarice, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, sloth. These are things that become addictions. So what do I do about it? Now, here's, here's the heart of what I want to say. A habit of vice can only be removed by a habit of virtue. A habit of vice can only be removed by a habit of virtue. What does that mean? Well, you, you, you get angry. Let's use anger. It's one of the deadly sins because it can just take you over. I can't help it. I just get angry. Oh, yes, you can help it. You, it's a habit of, of vice. It just happens that you, you get into a situation and you feel that anger welling up, up in you. Well, what do you do? You develop a habit. And I find a very good habit about anger and many other things. You take a deep breath, which kind of calms the vagus nerve, which is attached to the diaphragm, goes to your brain and says, oh, it's the danger's over. You take a deep breath. And as you let it out, you just say quietly to yourself, Jesus, I trust in you. Do it. Do it right now. It's like a sedative. Let's all just take a deep breath. Jesus, I trust in you. You do that when you're getting angry, and you will find pretty soon that you have conquered anger. You have conquered a habit of vice by a habit of virtue. It works. Well, what if I forget and I get angry and then, oh, I should have said the Jesus, I trust you with the deep breath prayer. Do it then as an act of reparation. It has, but it has got to become an automatic habit. Now let's go to good old lust, which is what this writer is saying. When you have a thought that you should not be having, what you need to do is develop the habit of saying a quick Hail Mary. That's what you do. Doesn't even have to be a pious one. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord. Why Hail Mary? Because it is a word from the scriptures pointing out to the devil that the human body is sacred. The devil hates humanity, especially children, and especially a well-ordered uh, and, and, and sacrificial life of intimacy. I'm being oblique for little years. That intimacy is a holy thing, and the human body is a sacred thing. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, that Jesus took on flesh. The devil hates that prayer. 
I have seen this, uh, you know, as I, I've told you before, I was never an exorcist, but I have seen how effective um, the Hail Mary is in exorcisms. It just makes the devil crazy. The devil loves spiritual things. He's a pure spirit. He wants to convince you that you don't have to worry about your body, whereas God loves you, body, soul, and spirit. So uh, uh, this this idea that the, that the human body is sacred makes the devil crazy. Now, the next thing is, the next part of this idea, if you've ever studied Alcoholics or not, Anonymous or been involved with them, they don't tell you to stop drinking for the rest of your life, just the rest of today. And if you wake up tomorrow, guess what? <laughs> it's today. So you want to live a day that's pleasing to God. And if you get through 24 hours living a godly life, that's a great success and a great victory over, over the devil. And so you want to develop that habit. The secret of addiction is that the less you do something, the less you need to do it. Now, a true addict needs to be vigilant his whole life. For instance, an alcoholic who's a true alcoholic can't go back to drinking a little bit. It, it just doesn't work. However, the less you do something, the less you need to do it. And I don't know about you, but I can postpone anything. Why not postpone sin? A thought crosses your mind that shouldn't be there, and you 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 just say the quick Hail Mary. I'm not I'm not going there now. Maybe later. Not now. Not now. And this this is a tiny victory, and tiny victories added up make a successful a successful battle, and they win the war. So what what am I saying? If you develop the habit of of saying a quick Hail Mary giving yourself 10 seconds to think that maybe I won't do this. You know, the devil wants to convince you. This is, you'll find this in C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. The devil wants to convince you that the only way to get rid of a temptation is by giving in. Whereas Jesus says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And that's really true. That in your spiritual warfare and in getting freedom, I mean, I'm always telling you, Christianity is all about freedom, freedom from, from your baser passions and, and your addictions. You know, the devil wants you to be a slave. God wants you to be a free person who's capable of authentic love. So every victory is pleasing to God. So, you know, your own moral condition, I cannot judge that. Go to confession regularly, at least weekly, and do your best. However, develop a habit of virtue, no matter what habit of vice, pride, avarice, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, sloth, no matter what what vice you have. You know, well, what about sloth? I just do nothing. Do a little. Oh, my house is a mess, and I just can't clean out one garbage bag a day. Just one, just a little bit. Pretty quick, your house will be tidy. That sort of thing. Uh, um, oh, I should exercise. I don't exercise. Exercise a little, and then a little more. Develop habits of virtue to conquer habits of vice, and you know you'll 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 be successful in your battle against the devil. And I really believe that the heavenly Father is pleased with every effort that we make. Uh, um, that just as a human parent is pleased when his children try to do their best, 
he will help them in their difficulty. But to just say, oh, there's nothing I can do, that's a surefire road to, well, perdition. But, uh, you know, St. Augustine said profoundly that to want to go is to go. So I hope that helps. Um, it's, it's, you know, we live in a world that is trying to say, you know, a world in which, as Cardinal George said, everything is permitted and nothing is forgiven. Whereas the Christian world is there are quite a few things that are prohibited because they are dangerous for us. But everything can be forgiven because God is a loving father who sent his son to bring us life. I hope that will help you. And um, uh, I will, I, I, again, I wanted to be anonymous, but um, um, I think that, that um, uh, addictive sin is a very, very uh, dangerous thing for all of us. If you're an alcoholic, go to AA. If you are a drug addict, get professional help. Um, try. Just fight the battle. All right. Um, let's go to another one. Let's see here. Okay. This is kind of a an interesting one. This is um, <laughs> this is from Margaret Ann and Helena. And um, <laughs> yes, I yeah, I was out there once. I I do enjoy Montana. Of course, looking at I got caught in an April blizzard on my way to Montana once, but I still like Montana. Dear Father, in Mark eight and other gospel texts, Jesus uses spit to heal. It sounds a little gruesome. Please enlighten us. Well, I I I did mention that yesterday, but I'll say it again that that. It was a belief in the ancient world. They weren't quite as worried about these things as we were, but uh, there was a belief in the ancient world that the saliva of the firstborn had healing properties. And Jesus was doing this uh, to point out that he was the firstborn, the only begotten son of God. So there was a, a, a deeper symbolism to the spit. So I, I, I know it does sound odd to us, but in the ancient world, well, wasn't so terribly odd. Okay, uh, let me go to, this is one from, um, uh, this. who is this from? Uh, well, uh, this is from Karen. Um, I'm in between, let me see, it occurred to me this morning at Mass, the leaven of the Pharisees might be the rabbinic hedge around the law, the little rules and practices that people observe more watchfully in the commandments. Uh, the core of the law is the justice of the law, thou shalt not steal. The leaven is all of the workabouts that obliterate it. A Passover bread is the law in its essence. No leaven, no sugar, no poppy seeds, no onion powder. In this vein, the leaven of the Herods must be the idea that one can have both purity of faith and belief while still having glamour, wealth, and power of the world. That's very good. When she says hedge about the law, this, you know, this, that, that the rules that the Pharisees imposed were called a hedge about the law. You could go this far and no farther. It was to protect the law. That was their passion for decision, for, for definition. How much water you gotta wash your hands. It's in the law. How much water must I use to, to wash? Well, just wash your hands. No, you gotta be precise. It's a hedge around the law, which was a noble thing, but it got carried away. And that, that passion for definition when someone does not want mercy, they, they don't, you know, you can use the law to not extend mercy. Well, you know, this is a sin that they're committing, and, and I should point that out and, and bring them the riot act. Well, is your intention to win them to the faith, you know, or is it your intention to just let them have it because it feels good to be righteously angry? 
you can confuse the hedge around the law with a <laughs> with a fence post that you're beating people with. So I think that's a good point, a very good point. And then the leaven of 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 Herod is is well, it, it's the the leaven that built Caesarea Philippi. I never eat pork, but I build shrines to pagan gods. Well, that's politics, and you know, all is fair in love and politics. So. Very good. Thank you very much, Karen. That's a good insight. So, well, all right, let's go to a break and we will come back with a word of the day. And uh, again, the phones are open at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Father Rich Simon. Have you ever dreamt of seeing the sights in Italy? St. Peter's Basilica, the Sistine Chapel, Drew Mariani in the Colosseum, fighting to the death? More info on our September Eucharistic Revival Pilgrimage at relevantradio.com slash Italy. Seats are limited, not in the Colosseum necessarily, but on, on the pilgrimage. Father Simon says, well, What are you asking me for? Have a question? Give us a call. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you who is on first. On Relevant Radio. There's no business like show business like no business I know. No business like it. Everything about it is appealing. Why, it's grand. Everything the traffic will allow. <laughs> oh, good grief. This isn't show business. Well, maybe a little bit. <laughs> the show must go on. Oh, Lord. It's not show business, believe me. You know, it, it really isn't because I'm agonizing over these same things with you. So uh, I do feel like this is a a time in which all of you teach me at least as much as I teach you. But let's go to phone calls. Oh, the word of the day. I forgot the word of the day. Good grief. Uh, Christ is the word of the day. Uh, the people say Christ, and they're forgetting what they're saying, the Messiah, Mashiach, which means the anointed one, uh, the chosen one. Uh, and it's very interesting because in the before the exile to Babylon, the Messiah was uh, really about an age to come. And there's, it seems to me that after the exile, increasingly it was about the leader who would bring about that age to come. So so the Messiah was the anointed one. It's very interesting because the word Messiah appears in the Old Testament applying to a number of people. Uh, the anointing with oil, which oil is a sign of the Holy Spirit. You know how good a chapstick feels on a cold winter day for those of you who live in wintry climates? Well, they used they used oil as we use, you know, hand cream or 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 lip balm, that sort of thing. It, it, it protects you from, from drying out. And you know how good that chapstick feels? Well, the symbol of oil is the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, is as good for the, for the soul as chapstick is for the lips. So, or lip balm, I suppose I should use the generic thing. So that's the symbolism of oil. And it was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the divine and protective presence of God. The Old Testament... The anointing oil was it was reserved to the kings of Israel and to the high priest of Israel. Priests and kings were anointed, and the patriarchs were anointed, and prophets were anointed. 
So priests, prophets, and kings were anointed. We still do that in the baptismal ceremony. They have a special outpouring of this of the Holy Spirit. And Cyrus the Great, the Emperor of Persia, was called the Anointed One because he gave religious freedom to the, the Jews as they returned from exile in Babylon. After the exile in Babylon, increasingly, people looked to a person who would deliver them. And we see that in the book of Daniel, uh, that, 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 that Daniel was written in the exile, according to the tradition. And after that, the, the son of man was a, a, a being who would come to rescue Israel. So we want the biblical references to people ask me the other day for biblical references to the Messiah. There are references in the scripture which can be used to indicate a Messiah. But this was a slowly growing idea. Well, then it wasn't biblical. Yes, it was. Uh, the the meaning of those passages in the Bible, um, how do you say this? I can't think of the word in English. It unfolded. That's what it, the meaning of those passages developed and unfolded. They were the meaning was there. It's just it was the tradition that that unfolded them. So we 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 need to understand that this idea of Messiah developed gradually. That doesn't make it less real. Now, the word Christ, when you say Christ, you're saying the anointed one, the Messiah, uh, uh, through the Messiah, our Lord. <laughs> it feels different. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a Greek word, the translation of the word Messiah, you know, that uh, through the Messiah, our Lord. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, Messiah, uh, Messiah, you know, say, well, Christ was a great teacher. Messiah was a great teacher. Do that actively use the word messiah occasionally uh, and not in liturgy that's not what i'm saying use what say what's written but in your own thinking and in your own prayers occasionally throw in the word messiah and it really does kind of change in color the 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 meaning of what you're saying and the direction of it so the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god the beginning of the gospel of jesus messiah son of god <laughs> that sort of thing. Very interesting. All right, that said, let's go to phone. The phone is ringing. Joe from Illinois, are you with us? Hi, uh, Rabbi Simon. I uh, have oh, a question about... Joe. Hello? Yes, I'm here. Hello? I'm here. I'm here. I have a question about uh, culpability for mortal sin. Now, yes. I think you've said before that um, that the way to, to be becoming possessed is to give in <laughs> bit by bit, right? Well, uh, you know, the, the old vampire stories, you have to invite the vampire. And I think that's actually taken from from Christian exorcism, that, that the usual way to get possessed, though it isn't universal, the usual way to get possessed, and remember, I'm not an exorcist, but... The usual way to get possessed is is to invite the devil in, uh, using a Ouija board, using autonomic writing, going to spiritualists, that sort of thing. Uh, um, even uh, an intense anger uh, in which you invoke the devil are good ways to get possessed, and I do not recommend them. So, uh, you know, if an alcoholic um, commits a sin, is he guilty for it? Well, did he make the decision to, to, to drink? You know, if an alcoholic is fighting his addiction, I think that the moral situation of the alcoholic may be a little different. But if if a person 
who decides, heck, I'm going to get drunk because, well, I want to have a good time this Friday night. Well, he was drunk. He didn't know what he was doing. No, but he's still culpable for the sins he commits when drunk. An alcoholic, his culpability may be diminished by his addiction. A person who just decides to get drunk, he's culpable for the sins he commits while he's drunk. And I would say the same thing would apply to exorcism. And if I'm wrong and there's a moral theologian listening to me or an exorcist, I would love to know, I would love to be corrected. But if a person decides to be possessed... Who would decide to be possessed? When you decide to use the occult, you are opening yourself to possession. That's an act of free will. And you would then be culpable for any mortal sins committed uh, under the influence of the devil because you gave him permission to do these things. That's as I understand it. I may be wrong, but I think that that's probably true. And again, I'm asking to be corrected by anyone who can do so. Does that help, Joe? Yes, it does. There you go. Well, good. May all your questions. <laughs> I hope I'm right in my answer. I, I think I am. So that's how. Uh, how uh, but again, I, I hope to be corrected. So thanks for listening, Joe. God bless you. Let's go to Joan, who's calling in from, uh, let me see, Greendale, Wisconsin. What can I do for you, Joan? Yes. Hi there, Father. Yes, Father. Yeah. Um, I have I have a son that had a nervous breakdown about five years yeah. ago, and he completely uh. changed mentally. How do you, how do I pray for him, which I do the chaplet and I do the rosary mm-hmm, and sure. I go to morning mass. But what do you do for a, for a child who has his mind? In other words, if somebody said to him, well, I need $20, he'd give all he had. He's very easily, you know, he's mm-hmm. not that bright now. What do you do mm-hmm. in your prayer? I say, Lord, let your will be done. I am praying for him. He prays every day. Uh, he's trying, and he's a very, very good person, but he's the kind of person that someone was begging on the streets, he'd give him everything he had in his wallet, you know. But I'm so far how, away from how, him where I live now that oh. um, he had moved, you know, a while back when he was in good mind. How, how, old, is how, how old is he? How and old how is he? How old is he? How do I pray about that? How old, how old is he? How old is he? He's in his 50s. He's 57. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you keep praying. You love him. And, and well, love, remember, love is to, to will the good of someone. And if there is a way that you can make sure he's, you know, do your best to make sure that he's getting professional help, taking his medication, that's willing his good. You know, you pray and you will his good. So what in whatever way, uh, you know, any money you would give him, I would certainly put it in a kind of trust, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, you got to be shrewd about it. And um, uh, is he living alone? He is living with a relative, but the relative is very old and he's not that helpful either. But he, But my son is so paranoid. He thinks, you know, people are... You know, I mean, he's just completely this fun-loving, happy-go-lucky, handsome kid just suffered a nervous breakdown and became paranoid no. and everything. That I don't happens. know what to well, handle mental illness. Well, that's one of the problems, the brokenness of sin. I just had a friend who had a breakdown, and I had there was nothing we could do about it but continually call him and, and stick with him, and he did get better. 
Uh, you know, I think one of the most important things you can do is to make sure that he's getting uh, professional help. Uh, you know, he needs to be regularly uh, seeing someone and taking appropriate medications. And I will join you in, in prayer for him, Joan. It's a very difficult thing, especially when it's one of our, one of our kids, because we love him more than we love ourselves, and it just it just is an awful thing. But you stick with him. And, and you don't give up on him. So I'll be praying for you, Joan. God bless you. Let's go to Francine in Chicago. Francine, what can I do for you? Uh, first, Father, thank you for your sense of humor and your music. I want to know the significance of the number 12, <laughs> 12 disciples, 12 years of blood, 12 years the girl was raised from the dead. What's with 12? Um, usually 12 in the Bible, uh, it either represents something that is 12 or governance, 12 tribes, 12 apostles, the 12 thrones of judgment. Uh, uh, it's all uh, 12, 12 judges, you know, the judges in the book of judges, there are 12 of them and Samuel was the 13th, but in the book of judges, there are 12 judges and they were actually the governors of Israel, the, the leaders, military and political leaders of Israel. So it's usually about governance and, uh, the 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 girl was twelve years old. She probably was twelve years old. But was she not? Is that not Jairus's daughter? I have to remember. Uh, that was uh, he was the the synagogue ruler, the archi archi I think they called him. That he was the leader of the synagogue. So twelve has to do with government in general. Uh, and sometimes it's just because well there were twelve of them. Does that make sense to you? Not in the sense of the woman with the blood for 12 years. What does that have to do with governance? It seems to uh, because, a because for Jesus, well, there is. It's about governance. It's a very deep one. She was uh, unclean, according to the law. And so Jesus said, I'm superior to the law. I have a governance more important than the law, the mercy of, of God. She had been un, she had been unable to pray for twelve years because of the rules, and Jesus said, "I'm abrogating that rule." So, yeah, it's still governance. Thank you very much. I I really do think twelve has to do with governance, but you know, look, look at the different examples. Sometimes twelve is just a number, but most times in the scripture. It has to do with with uh, Jesus. You know, Jesus was excommunicated from the synagogue when when Jairus. If I, I have to look the passage up, but when his twelve year old daughter was was uh, uh, he he came begging Jesus to heal his daughter. He was violating the law again. Jesus superior governance. So that's that's my my uh, uh, my understanding of it. And again, I, I perhaps I'm wrong, but I think that that is. Uh, what it really means. All right, well, speaking of governance, Drew is coming on, and, well, he, he has nothing to do with governance, but on the other hand, it's still a good show. Um, does it, Drew? He's been on for more than 12 years, so there you go. All right, and he will lead you in the Divine Mercy Chaplet, so, and do pray for that, that boy who had the breakdown. His mother's so grieved. Do pray for him. 